Here is another powerful message from New Vision Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. To hear the rest of this series and others, join us at newvisionlife.com. As we think about Easter this year at New Vision, we're thinking about uh, the story in light of uh, really two words, betrayal and belief. Because the Easter story is really filled with those two concepts. It's filled with stories of betrayal and stories of belief. And one of the reasons why that's important, I think, for us to spend some time looking at the Easter story that way is because all of us in our life at some level find ourselves really wrestling with those same concepts, betrayal and belief. We're somewhere kind of in the middle, perhaps. And so today, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open them up to Matthew chapter 26. And if, uh, if you're not one of those folks who typically does that, because it's funny, I sit out there and I say that and about 10% of you are actually doing, doing something, but we're, it's going to be really hard to keep up if you don't have your scripture open uh, today, I, I'll promise you. We'll, we'll try to put some scripture on the screen, but we're going to cover a lot of ground really quickly today. So if you have uh, maybe just an app on your phone that uh, has the scripture there, if you would turn there, it would really, really, really help you. Because let, let's think about it this way. You're here, right? That's rocket science. Might as well get the most out of it. And you're going to get the most out of it if you're really looking at God's Word. So if you don't have a phone that has an app on it, if you don't have a Bible, just move in closer to her or him and say, hey, good to meet you. I'm going to have to look on with you today. That's how some of the greatest friendships in life are, life are formed. So in Matthew chapter 26, we're going to be introduced to uh, really one of the, the bad boys of the Easter story. Uh, his name is, is Judas. And so when we think about Judas, one of the things that we're prone to think about is we're prone to think that, you know what, I don't really have anything in common with, with Judas. But as we investigate the story a little bit deeper, I think we begin to see we might have more in common than we ever realized. Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 1, when Jesus had finished saying all these things, in other words, that's Matthew's way in his gospel, in his account of Jesus. That's Matthew's way of saying the teaching ministry of Jesus ended. And now everything else that you're going to read about in my story is going to be about his crucifixion and his resurrection, this pinnacle event in all of history. Then in verse 2, Jesus is speaking here, and I want to give you a little context because we're here today on this Sunday, this Palm Sunday, if you grew up in church, and if you grew up in church or had the privilege of growing up in church, you realize that Palm Sunday was the Sunday where Jesus comes into the city of Jerusalem, and it would be one week before he is crucified on that Good Friday. But we're going to pick up the story on past Palm Sunday. The events that are going to take place in Matthew chapter 26 really begin to take place on Thursday. But a lot of things happen. So Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And he says in verse 2, he says, As you know, the Passover is two days away. This most significant event in the Jewish calendar. And if you're new to church, one of the things about the, the Passover that is so significant is the Jews still today celebrate Passover. It, it is this most important festival in their calendar. And it really commemorates what happened when they were held captive in Egypt some 1,500 years earlier. And God brought them out by sending plagues on Pharaoh. And the final one is when the angel of death passed over all the firstborn in Israel because they had the blood of the lamb as God required on their door post. And so they're still celebrating that. And so this event that's going to go down is set in the context of Passover. We'll explain that a little bit more. Jesus said, as you know, Passover is two days away and the Son of Man, talking about himself, 
will be handed over and crucified. Now, to that, multiple times, multiple times Jesus predicts his death, how he would, would die. Here he predicts when he is going to die over Passover weekend. Now, if you're here today, and some of you here, maybe you're a college student or, or, or maybe you're a 30-something, but it w- was back in your sophomore year in college, and it was a professor that just seemed very charismatic, and just, you know, every chance they had, they took a really a shot at the Scripture, and somewhere along the way, you just really believed that the Bible was really just a story of, of fables, and, and you couldn't really be trusted. It was just full of contradictions and and problems in it. Well, let me just tell you something. My hope and my prayer as we look at this passage today, that you would see the Scripture in a different way, and you would stand up and think about Scripture maybe like you never have before. So Jesus predicts he's going to be crucified. He predicts when he's going to be crucified. And then verse 3, this is interesting. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled. This is the religious elite, the Jews in Jerusalem, in the palace of the high priest whose name was Caiaphas. And they schemed to arrest Jesus uh, secretly and to kill him. But watch this, verse 5, but not during the festival, they said. In other words, not during Passover or, or, why? or there may be a riot among the people. This is where history really helps us, right? And again, I'm talking to some of you who would just say, you know what, I don't know, I've sort of waffled about the Scripture. Like, I, I, I don't know about, know, know about all this stuff. Well, watch this. Here's what we know from history. The Romans are in power in the first century in Jerusalem. So they control the nation of Israel. And and really, Rome didn't care that much about a lot of the things that the Jews did. As long as they paid their taxes and as long as they didn't have any kind of riots that caused the Romans to, to send their army back into Jerusalem and try to squelch a riot because they wanted their army conquering more lands to increase their empire. You understand that? And so here's what Caiaphas, who was the high priest, he was the most prominent religious official and he was crooked. He was, he was making a living extorting people as they came in to offer sacrifice. And that's why Jesus clears the temple two different times in his ministry. And so there, there, there's, there, Jesus is always in a run and gun with these high priests. So they don't like him. They want him out. But very clearly they say, not during Passover, because we don't want to cause a problem here, right? And we're going to see that Jesus is crucified during Passover. And you say, well, why are you bringing that up? Because I hear people a lot that say, you know what? I think, I think Jesus was a great teacher, but, but I, don't, I don't think he's a central religious figure. And this whole idea about the crucifixion that you, you Christians put so much emphasis in, I don't believe Jesus ever intended to be crucified. He just kind of got caught up in some sort of quasi-religious politics and his life was taken from him. That's not the truth of what Scripture says. Jesus clearly indicates he's going to die, indicates when he's going to die. What's interesting, it is contrary to when the Jews wanted him dead. You just have to stand up and and recognize that. Now, let's look at verse 6. While Jesus was in Bethany, now Bethany is a village about a mile and a half outside the city of Jerusalem in the home of Simon the leper. Now, this is a, this is a home that Jesus would, would stop in multiple times when he's in Jerusalem. Now, you're going to be reminded that this, is, this was a home that most likely Lazarus lived in. You remember Lazarus? Jesus brought him back from the grave. Lazarus had two sisters. Somebody help me. Who were they? Mary and Martha, that's good. We looked at them in John chapter 10 a couple weeks ago. Do you remember the last time Jesus was in this home, he's teaching, and Mar- or excuse me, Mary, let me say this again, Mary is at his feet listening to Jesus teach. Martha is exceedingly upset because there's dishes that need to be done. Do you remember that? And Jesus has to really correct her and says, Mary has done the best thing. Now watch this, same house, just later time period, right? This is Thursday, right before Jesus would go to the cross on Friday. 
While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. Now, John's gospel tells us who this woman is. This is Mary, the sister of Martha, the sister of Lazarus, I believe perhaps the granddaughter of Simon the leper. Some disagree with me, but here's what we know about Simon. He was a man who had a death sentence. He had leprosy. Now he doesn't have it anymore because of the power of God. That's pretty significant. And so she comes in and she anoints his body. Now, here's what we know. John tells us that the perfume she used to anoint Jesus' body was worth a year's worth of salary. So uh, it would have been in in, in our modern economy today about a $50,000 gift. That just got real, didn't it? 50 grand. She, She anoints his body. Now, listen to what the scripture says. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant, meaning they were, they were angry, furious. And they said, why this waste? That sounds so spiritual, doesn't it? Why this waste of money, they asked. And I think they were expecting Jesus to say, yeah, this was a bit extravagant. We should have taken this, and we should have just fed the hungry and clothed the poor. Listen to what Jesus said. And they said, this perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Now, again, another thing that I want to tell you before we move on. John's gospel tells us who the disciple that was the most outraged by this. You know which one it was? It was Judas. Because, because Judas was the treasurer of the 12 apostles. And John tells us it wasn't that he just had charge of the money, but John's gospel tells us that he often helped himself to the money, so he was a thief. So Judas is not really concerned about this $50,000 going and feeding the poor. This was money that could have gone into his pocket or, we'll see in just a few moments, perhaps could have funded what he really wanted to happen, right? So Jesus always knows the question before we ask it, right? So we pick up in verse 10. Aware of this, aware of what? Aware that the disciples are arguing about this extravagant gift. Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman She has done a beautiful thing to me. So again, Jesus is not saying, you know, we should have used this money to feed the poor. She's saying, you know what? She gets it. She understands what's about to happen, that I'm about to go to the cross, and she's anointing my body uh, with with, with this extravagant gift. She had experienced something. She had received something from God, and it's just an overflow of this joy because of what God is doing in her life. She's anointing the Son of God. Jesus said she's done a beautiful thing. And then Jesus says something that's interesting. He says, the poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. And so here's what Jesus is doing, and watch this, watch this. Because if we're not careful, we fall prey here. So many people inside the the, the church, inside of quote-unquote religious organizations, we, we, we can be exceedingly passionate, and we should be, about social justice, about clothing those who need clothes, about feeding those who, who need, need food, and that's an important thing. But what Jesus is saying is the priority, you should do that, but the priority is me. The priority is glorifying me because here's the deal. And I know what some of you are doing. You're looking at that and you're feeling some of the same way that the disciples are. But what what we're really beginning to see is somebody's life isn't changed by the glory and the power of God. It doesn't matter how much food they have on their table and how many sets of clothes they have on their back. You see that? And so Jesus is is putting this in context. Now, verse, verse 12, when she poured this perfume, Jesus is explaining, when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. So she understands what's going on here. Why? We saw that in John 10, because she spent time in his presence. Verse 13, if you're watching the Masters right now, getting the score on your phone, guys have been texting me all morning, you don't want to know the score? No, I'm, uh, actually, I do know what it is. But anyways, I'm not looking at it now. Put your phone down. You got some screens open, close them. 
I'm hoping for great things with this. I have sh- this, this verse 13 is so fascinating to me, and I have this is the fourth time that I have shared it, and I don't know that anybody has been excited about it, but I'm believing that there's that one person here that will be. All right, look at verse 13. Jesus, after this event takes place with this anointing of his body with this fifty thousand dollar gift, Jesus says, "Truly, I tell you." Wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Now watch this, watch this, because if you were in that room, there, there's only maybe 15 folks at most, and they're in a, just a forgotten little village known as Bethany, and Jesus said, hey, wherever this gospel, and to that, these, these folks are saying, gospel, like, which really just, it's, it just means a good news story, they're saying, what, what story are you talking about, Jesus? I mean, it's just us. We're in Simon's house here. We're in Bethany. I mean, I, I think you've gone too big with this. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You're part of a story. You guys don't understand, but there is a story that is unfolding, and you're, 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 you're participating in it, and this story is going to go to the entire world. And they're saying, the entire world. Jesus, we're, again, we're in Bethany. Nobody even knows where, where we are right now. And it seems like you're even talking about places that, that, that haven't even been discovered yet. That's exactly what's taking place. And he says, wherever this story, like this woman anointing Jesus' body for burial with this extravagant gift is told around the world, it'll be told in memory of her. That literally has happened. Right? I just want to tell you, if, you don't, if, you're not, if you're one of those that are just easy dismissive of the Bible, this story should at some level allow you just to stop and go, huh, that's fascinating. I mean, because what Jesus said has really happened, because let me just tell you something today. Most of you, this isn't the first time you've heard this story, right? Can, can I ask a question? Have you heard this before? You've heard this story before. You just are being reminded of it. And so this is another thing that just, just shows me the power and the truth of God's word. And we could talk about hundreds of those things. But that was just a commercial. I just wanted to show you that. Did that help anybody? Like if you're here and kind of prone to doubting the scripture, you look at that and think, man, that's good. Verse 14, then one of the 12, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out. How many? Help me. 30 pieces of silver. Watch this. The timing here means everything, right? Fresh on the hills of this woman anointing Jesus' body with this extravagant gift, Judas is like, I'm out. Why? This is huge. Please, please. I know this may not be as entertaining as the masters, but this is important. Judas had been with Jesus for three years And Judas had this messianic expectation, sort of this Old Testament messianic expectation. Judas thought Jesus was going to be the guy who was going to to rise up. He was going to rally the masses in Israel, and he was going to point their attention toward Rome. He would acquire an army, and he would run the Romans out, and now they could get on with the glory days of Israel like back in the time during King David. And so that's what Judas wanted to happen. But you see, as things begin to evolve, it wasn't going the way that Judas thought it was going. Jesus is talking about his death, and Judas is thinking, Messiahs don't die. 
And, and Judas is saying, you know what, if, if, we're going to, if, if we're going to do battle with Rome, we need a war chest, Jesus, and $50,000 hires a lot of mercenaries, and why in the world are you wasting $50,000? And so finally, Judas is like, this event is a trigger event for him. He realizes Jesus isn't going to do what I want him to do, and he bolts. He immediately goes, and he goes to the Jews and says, hey, what are you going to give me? If I hand him over to you, right? So maybe, just maybe, watch this, my opinion here, right? My opinion, maybe, just maybe what Jesus, Judas is saying, I just wasted three years, I'm going to get mine. If there's a chance to make some money off of this, I'm going to get mine. Or maybe he's saying, you know what? This guy doesn't get it. He's got all this power. He's supposed to be the Messiah. I'm going to force his hand I'll hand him over to the Jews, and then that will force his hand, and then we'll finally get this show on the road. Here's what happens next. Judas goes. He gets his 30 pieces of silver. He betrays the Son of God for three months' salary. Then next event, late that Thursday evening, Jesus and his disciples, by the way, Judas makes his way back. He's with them. They're celebrating the Last Supper in the upper room. Those of you who grew up in church, you remember that? Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Isn't it fascinating? He's going to wash the feet of the man who sells him out to the Jews. It's interesting, isn't it? After that, Jesus reminds them again of what's going to happen, that he's going to be betrayed. He even says that one of you in this room is going to be the one who betrays me, the one who dips this bread into this cup, which Judas is doing. And then Judas leaves. He calls every single shot. After the meal... Late Thursday evening, hang here with me. This is so important. This is the single most important event in the history of the world. Jesus and his disciples make their way down to the place called the Olive Press or the Garden of Gethsemane. It's there where Jesus is praying. He invites his disciples to pray with him. And what do they do? While Jesus is praying, what are they doing? Crashed. So really, if you look at this story, all, Judas isn't the only one who betrays him. They all betray him. You see, because all of us live somewhere between betrayal and belief. Jesus begins to sweat drops of blood and agony. He says, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. He tries to explain again to the disciples, wake them up, and then here it goes. It's about to happen. Look on down at verse 47. While he was still speaking to them in the garden late at night, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived with him. And with him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once, Judas greets him. Shalom, Rabbi. Peace, teacher. Kisses him. Jesus replied, do what you came for. Calls him friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. Can I tell you something? You can't force God's hand, and you can't thwart God's plan. Do you see that? Judas thought he could do both. Now, what happens next? Watch this. Hang with me. I'm going to summarize. 
the trial takes place. Immediately, the Jewish Sanhedrin, 70 members come together in the middle of the night. They have a mock trial. It's a farce. It's a joke. They, they have some trumped up charges. One guy testifies, yeah, he blasphemes against God. Here's what I heard him say. I heard him say, destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it again in three days. Jesus wasn't talking about tearing the temple down in Jerusalem. He was talking about his body, but that was enough. He's blaspheming against God. So what is the penalty for blasphemy? The penalty for blasphemy was death. Here's the problem. The Jews didn't have that power. History tells us that during this small window in the nation of Israel, the Jews could convict, the Jews could punish, they could incarcerate, but they couldn't execute. So now they needed the Romans. And so that's where Herod and Pilate come into play. Look on down at Matthew chapter 27. Watch this. Early in the morning, now it's early Friday morning, still late at night, still pre-dawn, the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. Why Pilate? Pilate had the power to do what they couldn't do. Look at verse 3. It's an interesting verse. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse. You see, here's what Judas knew. Watch this. Judas knew when Jesus went to Pilate, there was only one reason why Jesus was going to Pilate. Jesus was going to Pilate to be executed, and that isn't what he thought would happen. He thought punished. He thought maybe it would just incite him to begin to get this show on the road, but never death. When Jesus, Judas had betrayed, uh, saw this who had betrayed him, let, let me finish reading that, saw that he was condemned, look what the Scripture says, he was seized with remorse, regret, 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 and returned the 30 pieces of silver because it had kind of lost its luster, right? Three months' wages, which at one point was worth selling out Jesus to, now it doesn't feel that way. He returns the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. He says, says to them, I've sinned, for I've betrayed innocent blood. Watch this. Look at their response. What is that to us? That's your responsibility. If you have your Bible open, underline this. We're coming to a close. Underline this. That's your responsibility. You have to know this. So Judas threw the money into the temple, and he left. Some of you know how the story ends. Then he went out and what? Hanged himself. This is a dark story, man. This is a dark story. But in the midst of this story, there are some life lessons. Would you, would, could you look at me this way? This, just for a minute. There are some life lessons from Easter's ultimate bad boy that you need to know. These are important, important lessons. So let's look at three of them just in the next couple of minutes. Number one, here's the first lesson from the ultimate betrayer. Judas shows us, watch this, that insiders can actually be outsiders. Judas' story shows us that insiders can actually be outsiders. What do I mean by that? Judas was a physical insider, but he was a spiritual outsider. Like every time for three years, Judas was handpicked of one of the 12 apostles. Are you with me? Handpicked. Every sermon that Jesus preached, who heard it? Judas. Every miracle that Jesus performed, who saw it? 
Judas. We talk about small group. Judas was in community with Peter, James, and John. Judas even had a powerful position among the 12. They voted him treasurer. He looks like an insider, but he's actually an outsider. His heart never changed. Here's the thing. For, 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 for Judas, look, look at this verse, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. This is so, so important, so, so important. Jesus says this. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Doesn't that get your attention? Right? Like, I know it's hard to sit and listen. You've been listening for 15 or 20 minutes, but, I mean, that passage, you've read it before. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But look what it says. But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now, again, Jesus is not saying, watch this, please, please watch this. Jesus is not saying that our actions, serving God, worshiping God, ministering to other people, he's not saying that those things are a condition of our salvation. He is saying that those things will will always be a consequence of our salvation. He says, here's how you know if you are truly an insider, your actions will reveal that. And watch this, our actions ultimately give us away. That's Judas's deal. His actions ultimately gave him away. Jesus, said by, Jesus says this, by their fruit will you know them. So here's the first lesson from Easter's ultimate bad boy. Physical insiders can be spiritual outsiders. I talk to pastors. One of the things I get, to, I get to do is I get to talk to pastors from the West Coast to the Northeast. And anytime the guys know where, where my church is, they'll say, it's not my church. But anyways, where, where I serve, they'll say, oh, in the Southeast, man, that's got to be sweet in the Bible Belt. They say, that, that's probably the easiest place to do ministry in the United States, in the Southeast. In some ways, yeah. In some ways, no. Here's the problem. Most everybody in the Southeast thinks they're in. Most everybody in the Southeast thinks they're in. They've been raised in church. I hear that from you. I was, I was raised in church. I was, there every time, I was there every time the doors were open. One out of every two people in the South has a grandfather who was a pastor. Now, that's not scientific. That's just kind of what I've picked up along the way. You see that? You've got to be careful. Judas's story reminds me that there are some insiders quote-unquote insiders that may be spiritually outsiders. You can live in a garage, but that don't make you a car, right? Has your heart been changed by the power of the gospel? What evidence is there in your life on a daily, weekly basis, other people seeing fruit in your life that is truth that God is alive within you? It's an important question to ask. Here's the second question. Hang here with me for a couple minutes. Here's the second lesson in Judas's life. If we're going to move from betrayal to belief, Judas' life reveals the dangers of bargaining with God because that was Judas's deal all along, man. Judas already had a deal. Judas's deal was really more political than spiritual, and so Jesus was just a means to an, an end, and Jesus, Judas bargains with Jesus all along. He never surrenders to Jesus, and I want to show you that bargaining with Jesus, now watch it and don't be convicted because we've all done it. I want to show you that bargaining with Jesus can really be a dangerous thing, and so how many of you, don't raise your hand here. People still haven't listened to me. Folks have raised their hand all morning long. Don't raise your hand. How many of you have bargained with Jesus? I have. I, mean, I, I remember being late in middle school, 
Jesus, if you could give me that girl, I'd go to church on Sunday night. Right? Jesus, if I could get the promotion and get the job, I'd start giving. Jesus, if you help us get that house, shoot, we'd host a small group. We've all bargained with him. The problem with bargaining with God is this. Bargaining tends to always set us up for betrayal. And, 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 and I don't have all day to explain that to you. One of the reasons I, I, I think it is is because when we bargain with God and God, God, God shows up and then we feel like, okay, now I've got to show up. Now I'm obligated. And this becomes duty or obligation instead of really being in love with God for who he is. You see that? And you, you, may, you, you may disagree with me, but watch this. If, if you have ever bargained with God, has it been hard for you to live up to your end of the bargain? Most of the time, we betray our end of the bargain. And what is betraying? It, it is just giving up something that we couldn't keep for something that we really couldn't lose. So bargaining, watch this. This is what Judas does. Judas bargains with God all his life, and it led him to betrayal. Bargaining leads to betrayal. And watch this. Betrayers, watch the progression. You've got to hang in here. You've got to hang in here. Judas' story screams this. Betrayers are responsible for the outcome of their journey. That's what happens in, in Matthew 27 when, when, when Judas goes back to the Jews and he, he throws the money at their feet. And they say, what's that to us? You're responsible. You see, when we betray we step outside of God's will. That doesn't mean, watch this, this will mess you up. That doesn't mean that God can't forgive you. That doesn't mean that we can't repent of that. But listen, we are still responsible for the consequences so many times of our betrayal. And that's what Judas's story screams. And watch this. When we bargain with God, it leads us to betrayal which leads us to have to deal with the consequences of our betrayal, and it leads to life's greatest regrets. You can resist God, but you're still responsible for the outcome. You can't force His hand, and you can't thwart His plan. God is sovereign over all things, and you and I are still responsible. We could talk for hours about that. But betrayers, here we go, watch this, betrayers experience life's greatest regret. Can I just tell you something really quickly this morning? Judas's betrayal brought about his greatest regret. And can I just speak about my life? The times when I have traded in Jesus in large ways and small ways for things that I could not keep that cost me intimacy with Christ have been the greatest regrets in my life. I'm just talking about me. Betrayal has led me to the greatest regrets in my life. Let's look at the third and final thing here today, and then we'll be done. Judas could be bought. Judas was an outsider who thought he was an insider. Judas shows us how damaging bargaining with God is, but Judas had a price. Judas could be bought. 
Judas paints a picture of what betrayal is. We're talking about moving from betrayal to belief. We've said it over and over again. Betrayal is when you and I, like Judas, trade something that we can't keep. That three months bonus that he got, that 30 pieces of silver, that would have passed through his hands so fast. He wasn't going to keep it anyways for something that he couldn't lose. Judas's number was 30. What's yours? Everybody's got a number. You might say, man, I don't, I don't know what my number is. The enemy does. He knows what your number is. What's your 30 pieces of silver? What are you and I prone to trade that we couldn't keep anyways for something that we couldn't lose? It's a temporary for the eternal Maybe for you, you'd say, you know, it's, it's, it's my hobby. It's always been more important than worshiping God. <laughs> when, it's, when they're up against each other, I trade the temporary for the eternal. That's my 30 pieces. For others, it's momentary pleasure. Momentary pleasure is more important to you than intimacy with Christ. That might be your 30 pieces. For others, it's your career advancement. Because it is way more important than kingdom advancement. Like when, like when there's a chance, when two things are in conflict, when there, when there is a chance that God gives you to take the ball and advance the kingdom with some act of service or some ministry that's going to take some time, you think about that in light of how that's going to affect career advancement, and that's your 30 pieces of silver because you know what always wins out. Your possessions are way more important and putting God first. What's your number? It didn't have to end this way, did it? I mean, Judas' story is heart-wrenching. I've had text all morning, and people. here's the question that people ask. Is Judas in hell? Matthew chapter 26, verse 24, Jesus says to the one who would betray him, it would be better that he wasn't even born. Sounds like he is. But it didn't have to end this way. Do you know the difference? If you think about Judas' story right up against another one of the 12, Simon Peter, Jesus told Simon Peter at that Last Supper, he said, you're going to betray me. You're going to deny that you even know me three times. Simon Peter's in an argument with him, and he does that that night of Jesus' arrest, not once, not twice, but three times. He sees Jesus. He is filled with regret. Simon Peter is filled with regret. Judas is filled with regret. You know the difference? In one way, it was time. Simon Peter didn't quit, and God redeemed his betrayal, and he became the pastor of the first church in Jerusalem, preached this amazing message at Pentecost. So listen, for all the betrayers out there, God can redeem it. Don't quit. You see, watch this. If you get nothing else, watch this. Judas quit too soon. Listen, everybody in this room, Everybody in this room knows somebody that at some point in time was following Jesus and then for some reason they just quit. You know why that is many times? Judas' story explains that. Because for Judas, he had a reason. He was following God for a reason, following Christ for a reason. But God didn't do, Jesus didn't do for Judas what he thought he ought to. And so when it didn't make sense to him, Judas quit. Every one of you, if it hasn't happened, please listen, please listen. I want to prepare you for something. 
There are going to be things that happen in your life, in my life, and in the moment they don't make sense. You don't understand where God is. Have you ever been there? Judas was there. I mean, it's that night, it's $50,000 worth of perfume, and he's like, that doesn't make sense. I'm out. And all of us in our life are prone to quit when God doesn't do things the way we think he ought to. Watch this. I want to show you something. I want to show you something in Judas's story that you can't miss because it's part of your story. When you're in those dark moments and you're prone to quit, when God isn't making sense, that's when God is up to his greatest work. And he was doing something for Judas that Judas had no idea about. He was going to destroy a greater enemy than Judas even had a concept of. Listen, he's up to something. The difference between Simon Peter and Judas in many ways was just time. Simon Peter didn't quit, and God redeemed it. Can I tell you something today? Don't quit. God is up to something. Just because you don't understand what he's up to right now doesn't mean he is isn't about to do something amazing in your life. And this story reveals that. I want you to know that. Don't quit. Isn't it sad that Judas quit on Friday? Sunday was coming, wasn't it? <laughs> Sunday was coming. The thing that breaks my heart about Judas' story, he just quit a couple days too soon. I wonder if that helps anybody here today. Because it feels like Friday. Sunday's coming. Last thing and then we'll be done. You know why I think Judas' story is in Scripture? Because I... I think it's a warning shot for us. I think it's a wake-up call. Man, I am way more like Judas than I thought. I have grabbed these too many times. I want to live the rest of my life in belief, not betrayal. How about you? Here's the math on betrayal. You ready? Betrayal. When we trade the temporary for the eternal, isn't that what Judas did with the 30 pieces of silver? He didn't even keep them anyways. He experienced regret. You see it? Every single time. Here's the math on betrayal. Regret. The consequences were his responsibility. And that shiny coin didn't satisfy can I tell you something today? Listen, listen, listen. There's probably a dude in this place. You're married. Let's run the numbers. Watch the math on this. A year and a half ago, you saw her, and it's all you could think about. It controlled your mind. You lived in a fantasy world for a long time. If you could have that, mm, but in the last several months, that fantasy has turned into a reality. You got that. But here's what's happened. You traded in some temporary pleasure for this eternal intimacy with God. And that betrayal has brought about regret. It's brought about responsibility, consequences, 
that you never wanted to have to deal with. And watch this. And it's brought dissatisfaction because it isn't as sweet as you thought it was going to be. It never is. It never is. That's the story of betrayal. That's Judas's story. Don't make it yours. Here's how it ends. Judas held on to betrayal to the bitter end when he could have surrendered. How's your story going to end? Betrayal or belief? Father, thank you for this moment in time. Thank you for this difficult last 35 minutes where we've had to look at this dark, evil character many ways it's been a look in a mirror and father through the power of the holy spirit we are all at different places here father there are some here who all their life thought they were insiders but there's no fruit and today through the power of the holy spirit you're showing them like judas that they were an outsider father i pray that that would change today father there are those here who have just been bargaining 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 but that bargaining has led to betrayal to regret, to responsibility, and to dissatisfaction. Father, could we be like Mary and give you the most extravagant gift, which is surrender? And could we experience the sweetness of that? Because, Father, when we betray, we're responsible for the outcomes. But, Father, when we surrender, you are. And that's where we want to be. Would you bring that about in our hearts and lives? Would you do work in hearts and lives today for your glory and our good? In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we'd like to invite you to one of our Sunday morning services. We meet at 820, 940, and 11 a.m. If you would like more information or would like to watch or listen to more of our services, please visit us online at newvisionlive.com. This broadcast is brought to you by New Vision Baptist Church, where our mission is guiding people to lives of gospel transformation.